Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your co-host and moderator for this episode. Joining me is someone who never misses the mark, Lily. Oh, I thank you. And a guy who's nothing but bull's eyes, Sean. I was kind of scared where that was going, but I guess thank you. (laughs) Well, guys, what do you get when you cross Batman, Robin Hood, and My Name is Earl? Uh, um... Yeah, that's right. You get Arrow. And that's what we watched this week. It's the CW action drama based on the Green Arrow comic books. One of my favorites. I know Lily's the one who actually suggested we do this episode. Correctly. Yes, this is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I've been now just to get your experience, everyone. We're kind of we do this every episode now. It seems I've been watching Arrow. Actually, I kind of binge watched it on Netflix over the past few months. Uh, the first two seasons. What are your experiences so far with Arrow, guys? I haven't been that familiar to the show at all. I guess this was my first episode, even though I suggested watching it, because um, I wanted to watch it, so I figure I would make myself watch it by suggesting to review it or discuss it in the podcast. I am familiar with the character or superhero Green Arrow through comic books and my fondness of them, but besides that, I'm pretty much new to this show. How about you, Scott? What's your experience with Arrow? Uh, Same here, pretty much. I had never seen the show. I had heard of it, and I had heard good things about it. And as far as the comic books go, I'm more of a Marvel guy, so I don't know that much about the Green Arrow. Never really fond of him, and he wasn't a featured character in the Super Friends cartoons. So I wasn't sure what I was going to get going into this experience, but I was looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, and like I said, I've been watching Arrow for a while, and... As the comics go, as you know, Scott and Louie, I am a big Justice League fan mm-hmm. and DC fan in general. Green Arrow is a key member of the Justice League. Wasn't he did... um, the last edition because the fans had requested him actually be on the Justice League? You know, I don't know that. I do remember him being on the Justice League since the beginning of the series, which is 1961-ish, when they had their own standalone Justice League of America series. He was also, I believe, in The Brave and the Bold. I don't know, but I never heard that before. I always knew he was just kind of there as a a key member and a a founding member of the Justice League. It's interesting that he has a very similar background to Bruce Wayne, as as you mentioned, Scott. Yeah. Billionaire-turned-vigilante in his own city. So very much going off of the whole Batman vibe. Yep, and an archery-themed analog, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I have some information, guys, on the history of the Green Arrow, if you'd be interested in hearing that. Please. Green Arrow first appeared in More Fun Comics, specifically number 73, November 1941. Oh, wow. So More Fun Comics eventually became DC Comics, which we all know became a huge comic book company. The fictional history of the Green Arrow was his real name is Oliver Queen. He, just like Bruce Wayne again, was a billionaire businessman owner of Queen Industries, a celebrity of sorts in Star City. Star City is a city that is rumored to be like a, we don't exactly know where the location of it is, just like Gotham City, we're not quite sure. It's on the East Coast, Metropolis is on the East Coast, 
But Star City has been given a location throughout the years as being in the Great Lakes area. It's also the replacement city for Boston, believe it or not, which is kind of close to our hearts. Also, one reference in the 70s that was in Connecticut. But now the the known reference point for Star City is pretty much agreed upon as being somewhere in Northern California. So it's definitely a coastal city. Going on to more of Green Arrow history here, it was illustrated by artist George Papp. And I believe, isn't that all the way in uh, 1941? Correct, yeah. Had this kind of Robin Hood type feel. Initially had, wasn't green actually, had like red red outfit, red uniform. Had a sidekick starting off, which is interesting, right in the beginning of the series when the Green Arrow appeared, Speedy was with him. And had, again, a very Batman-like influence, had a Arrow Cave <laughs> um, arrow car, aeroplane. <laughs> well, aeroplane is, that's a given. You gotta have an aeroplane. Aeroplane. So they kind of went off the whole Batman feel again. There's also another famous DC character that appeared in the first appearance of Green Arrow and Speedy. Anybody know who that character is? A little trivia question here. No. Yikes, I actually don't know that one. Aquaman. Really? Oh. Appeared in the same issue as Green Arrow and Speedy. Wow. In 1941. So that's pretty interesting that out of that one issue, major appearance of three major characters in the DC Universe. Wow. It's interesting, you know, and someone could correct me if, if you wish. I did some research on this. You're wrong. You didn't do any research. I, I did do research. I did some... Just wanted um, to correct you. Oh. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the Green Arrow... Did not have his own standalone series named The Green Arrow, as far as I can tell, until 1983, wow. believe it or not. Yeah, he's he's relatively modern. He was in adventure comics. He was in the world's finest comics. He was in more fun comics as, you know, a, a recurring character. And he was also in a, a series in the mid-70s called Green Arrow and Green Lantern. So he was with The Green Lantern. Where yeah. Green Arrow kind of played the liberal, no rule sort of character. Green Lantern played the right wing kind of, you know, rule centric character. Yeah. And this is the Hal Jordan Green Lantern. Correct. It's an interesting um, balance that, you know, that kind of came about from them probably just saying, ah, just stick the two green guys together in one book. <laughs> yeah. But that was a pretty popular series. It was, yeah. It's, it's definitely a one you can find. But he didn't actually have Green Arrow Volume 1 didn't come out until in 1983. And then there has been numerous uh, issues since then, or, or series, volumes since then. Yeah, in the, in the 90s, the original Oliver Queen Green Arrow was killed off and replaced by his son, Connor Hawk, who became the second Green Arrow. But he was unfortunately less popular than the first Green Arrow, so they just brought him back in 2011. <laughs> it's comic books. With the new 52, <laughs> I believe, right? They brought him back. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's happened to many characters, Marvel and DC and other publishers, where the character that they replaced the main character with isn't popular at all, so they have to do some resurrection work and bring him back. Speedy. Who becomes it- the uh, Red Arrow. Red Arrow. Also, Speedy is interesting because he was uh, the brunt of a lot of uh, controversy and after-school special type comics in the 70s and 80s. He actually became a heroin addict in the (laughs) 70s, believe it or not. And he became HIV positive. Really? Yes. This is all featured in the comic book? (laughs) All featured in the comic books of the Green Arrow. Wow. Speedy really got the brunt of these causes, I guess you can say. 
So in all of these characters, we'll see if you watch Arrow more in the pilot episode come up. There is a speedy Roy Harper down the line, not to give too much away. Some of the characters, if you are a Green Arrow fan, from the pilot episode, you see have a place in the Green Arrow history. Real quick, just to give a brief outline of how Oliver Queen became the Green Arrow. There's three different versions of how this happens. In the Golden Age, which is 40s and 50s comic books, he was an archaeologist who actually actually specialized in Native American culture. And Roy Harper was a young boy. His parents were killed. They left him stranded on an island. And basically, he met Oliver Queen. Oliver Queen had a museum that was burnt down by criminals. That's how he basically became the Green Arrow and Speedy. Again, they rebooted his character for the Silver Age comics. And this is where we see more of the Green Arrow that we see in the show, Arrow, where he is a wealthy playboy billionaire who is basically has no responsibility in life. Very close to what we see in the episode of Arrow. Accidentally falls off the cruise ship and is stranded on an island where he learns how to be a an archer and learns these skills to make him the green arrow. How do you accidentally fall off a cruise ship? I mean, I, can I, I don't see, know. I can see if somebody pushes you off. A couple and of cocktails, how... <laughs> you know. Yeah, you stumble towards the edge. And basically, you know, he is he has a bunch of adventures on the island. He's eventually rescued by a commercial freighter. And it also talks about how Roy Harper was also the Indian Reservation angle is there for Roy Harper in the Silver Age edition. I think that makes way more sense. Yeah, it's it's really actually I think the arrow story makes more sense than him accidentally falling off a a cruise ship, but we'll talk about that in a little (laughs) bit. Now, the post-crisis, which is post-1985, when the crisis of Infinite Earths happens, reboot his backstory a little bit more. And in this universe, the Green Arrow, Oliver Queen, was still a wealthy playboy, but was not the kind of wealthy, lazy, spoiled playboy. He was a hard-working executive. He was, I believe, the CEO of uh, Queen Industries. But he still drunkenly fell off his belt and ended up on this island where he had, to, he had to survive and learn how to be a hunter. Guy can't um, hold his liquor. He can't, no. And, <laughs> well, you know, IGN rated him the 30th greatest superhero of all time, so... Wow. For, I know. I don't know exactly what they based that statement off of. Definitely not um, alcohol consumption or... It must have been after this show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he, he is definitely a character. You could see him almost like the wise guy type character on the Justice League. Some very interesting panels of them. Actually, one panel I saw, I think from the 90s, one of the reboots where Batman and Superman are confronting the Green Arrow. He basically calls them the Hitler twins because he didn't appreciate what they were doing and kind of compared them to uh, fascists and dictators. So wow. very funny having that kind of comic relief. Sarcastic comic, really, if I, can, I guess you can say, with Oliver Queen. That's um, funny because in um, most of the modern animated series, it's the Flash in the Justice League who's that comic relief. Yeah, yeah, I think it kind of varies depending on which which uh, series it is or who's act, you know writing for it, or who's a- actually doing the voice acting for the parts. But definitely in the comics themselves, Oliver Queen kind of has the reputation of being a a smart guy, a wise guy. Well, speaking of uh, animated series, I'm just going to go ahead real quick and list the other series the Green Arrow is featured in. He is in a single episode of the Super Friends. 
And he is in a whole slew of the animated series that were created in the 2000s, like Justice League Unlimited, Young Justice, The Batman, Batman the Brave and the Bold, and several other DC Universe animated original movies. As far as live action shows, he's in Era, which we're talking about right now, and Smallville. Yeah, Smallville, he actually played a pretty prominent role near the end of Smallville series, a Smallville run, as Oliver Queen. I believe he was a Metropolis. He was Oliver Queen in Metropolis. He actually married one of the main characters from Smallville at the end of the series. I wasn't really fond. I did watch Smallville quite a bit. I wasn't really fond of his uh, portrayal in Smallville. He just kind of seemed like a... Compared to the his, the character's portrayal in Arrow, he was very much a weakling, in, in my opinion. So, yeah, as was mentioned for this episode of our podcast, we watched the very first episode of the series Arrow, simply referred to as the pilot. It was uh, written by the developers of the series, Greg Berlanti, who previously worked on other CW, WB shows such as Dawson's Creek, and Mark Guggenheim, who in addition to writing for TV, wrote for both Marvel and DC Comics, and Andrew Kreisberg, who also has a background in television, including a few episodes of The Simpsons that he wrote, and he is also the creator of the Arrow spin-off The Flash, which we will probably get into at some point, and he's actually currently working on bringing a Supergirl show to CBS currently. Oh, that yeah. would be pretty cool. Yeah, that looks pretty good. I actually had some screenshots from that, and that looks really impressive. And speaking of other Justice League adaptations, he was also involved in bringing a proposed Booster Gold series to the Sci-Fi Channel in 2011, that pretty much fizzled out, but it's still considered on the table, but, you know, it's been almost four years now, so it's probably dead. They should put that out. Booster Gold's one of my favorite characters. And was in Smallville, by the way. Was he? Yes, he was. Yeah, see, yeah, I never three. watched Smallville, so I'm not... Yeah, I, neither have I. Yeah. He is a... I think it was like a one or two episode arc with Booster Gold, and actually Blue Beetle was uh, in there also. They had... They kind of tried out a lot of the... Um, the Flash was in there for a while. Aquaman had an appearance for an episode arc or a few episode arc. Huh. So they they did do that with quite a bit of Smallville. Not calling them those names or you know basically teenagers, but um, did have them as as characters. This episode was directed by David Nutter, who seems to have a knack for directing pilot episodes. The first sixteen pilots that he directed were actually picked up by networks. It's a pretty decent streak there. Yeah, it's pretty good. Jeez. He also directed pilots for Smallville, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which I know Sean is a fan of. Yes. As well as the Flash spinoff of, of this series, The Arrow. Or... All very good pilots. I gotta say, the Smallville pilot is very good, and so is Terminator. The Sarah Connor Chronicles is very good pilots and Flash, so he does a good job. And speaking of Smallville, on that long-running series, as Sean mentioned, there was a Green Arrow character, and that was played by Justin Hartley. However, the show's producers, they really wanted to stay away from that Smallville continuity, and they wanted to start fresh with their own interpretation of the DC Universe. And it's been said that they wanted to focus primarily on the humanity of the characters first, rather than their powers. And that's something we definitely see here in this first episode of Arrow. I have a little bit of a rant for that, okay, if I could jump in for one second. Absolutely. Sean's rant corner. Uh-oh. I love Arrow. The one thing, and they, they do mention it, and they dance around it a little bit in the later episodes, 
I wish they would just call it Green Arrow. I don't know why they don't. Yeah. I've looked up message boards about this. They shy away from it so much, and it's so stupid. <laughs> the Flash is called The Flash. You know, I, I don't get it. Just call it the Green Arrow. That's what he is. The Green uh, Arrow has gone by several different aliases over the years, like Dark Arrow. He has gone by just Arrow as well. Before this, I'm pretty sure. I don't like it. I like Green <laughs> Arrow, and it should be green. He's green. He uses green arrows. He should be called the Green Arrow. <laughs> no, but it's true, though. And I heard, I read about future episodes, and really, they only mention him as Green Arrow, like, once. Yeah, and it's not. It's in, in jest in that episode. Oh, they should call him the Green Arrow, is one of the characters <laughs> says. No, I don't like that name, says Oliver Queen. <laughs> I just, you're the Green Arrow. Be the Green Arrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just come on, come on. You're the Green Arrow. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't get that. So they cast Canadian actor Stephen Amell as the Green Arrow, and he really impressed at the audition. And he was already in shape because previous to this, he was on the show Rent a Goalie, and that was a hockey-centric comedy that aired on Showcase in Canada. And I found this interesting. He did go through some archery training, including studying how archery had been incorrectly portrayed in TV and movies. And I assume that that included Chewbacca's Wookiee bowcaster, because that's probably <laughs> the worst portrayal of a bow in all of cinema. How dare you, sir. How dare you. Think about it. Come on. Well, I'll tell you one thing. They were really focusing on his abs and his pecs during the first few uh, episodes of season one. I think they're trying to shoot for that uh, demographic of female girls between, or women, excuse me, between the ages of 15 and 35. <laughs> it is a CW show. Yes, he did have his shirt off quite a bit during his training montages, and that continues on. They kind of went away from that a little bit in season two. But definitely in the first season, man, he was bare-chested a good amount of time. And uh, production on this episode began in March of 2012, and it aired on the CW Network on October 10th, 2012. So for those wishing to follow along with us, this, along with all of seasons 1 and 2 at the time of this recording, are available on Netflix. Okay, so let's hit play on the pilot episode of Arrow. So we start with a scene of a man in a green hood and he's running panicked through the woods with disorienting camera work. And this really is the Pacific Coast, actually. They just not the side that they want you to think it is. They filmed most of this series in Vancouver. We see where he spots a Chinese fishing boat and he fires an arrow to light a beacon. We learn that the name of this island is Yang Yu, and that's supposedly Mandarin for Purgatory, and it's located in the North China Sea. I did look this up, and it does translate to purgatory in, in Mandarin Chinese. Well, I hope they got that. <laughs> they did get that. They did get that right. Yes. <laughs> now on the shore, we we see something. Now, me not too familiar with DC Comics, I at least knew that I saw the mask of Deathstroke, the Terminator, right yes, away. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And the good thing about Arrow is they didn't just write one episode at a time and say, "Ah, we'll figure it out as we go along." They have this whole thing planned out for seasons, I'm, I'm assuming, because there are lots of flashbacks, as we see in this episode and future episodes, of his time on the island. Because first thing I asked myself in these scenes was, how did he become so good at archery and what he's doing, being on an island for, you know, five years? Yeah. 
Tom Hanks didn't get that good at anything when he was in the island in Castaway. <laughs> yeah, just Besides much... yelling Wilson. Yeah, crying Besides to a volleyball. That. Yeah, that was his only <laughs> skill that he earned in maybe taking out his teeth with an ice skate. But... Come on, that's a superpower. <laughs> so we will sure. get into that, and we will see you know, how why Deathstroke's mask is there. Really gets into a lot of detail and a lot of surprises as we go through the first season. So we learn that he's shipwrecked, and he destroyed his yacht somehow, the Queen's Gambit. And he was stranded for five years. So here we're introduced to Oliver Queen. He's disheveled. He has a beard and long hair. And we cut back to news footage. We see that Oliver was a Playboy billionaire. It's consistent with the comics. And he enjoyed the nightlife and the spotlight and had drunken altercations with paparazzi. We learn that he was the son of billionaire Robert Queen, played here by Jamie Sheridan, who was also on board with him on the Queen's Gambit, but now is confirmed as being deceased. We get a scene of him in a hospital room. A doctor explains to Oliver Queen's mother, played here by Susanna Thompson, that 20% of his body is covered in scar tissue, and he's had multiple broken bones and second-degree burns, but he won't explain how these injuries occurred. In Arrow, for some reason, again, this is another small rant, they call the city Starling City, yeah. not Star City. I, I don't know why. Why it would they would change the name? I'm sure there's it's not a real place but they chose the name Starling City instead of Star City. Yeah, if they called it Cincinnati or something, that would be a bigger issue for me, but Starling City is pretty close, so I, I, give, him, I yeah. give him a pass on that. So Oliver is reunited with his mother, and he's taken, as most super-powered young men are, to the X-Mansion. Yeah, very, very unique mansion. Reminded me of the mansion that Lex Luthor had in Smallville, believe it or not. Looks very much like that one. You are correct, sir, because this is actually a site called Hatley Castle. It's located in Colwood, British Columbia, and it's actually considered a National Historic Site of Canada. And it's noteworthy because many TV and films are filmed or partially filmed there, including all of the X-Men films. I really wasn't kidding. That is the oh, X-Mansion. I did not know that. All of the X-Men films, including the 1996 Fox TV movie Generation X, which I we got to do an episode of that thing. That's a mess. <laughs> but it also did serve as Lex Luthor's mansion in Smallville. So, Oh, hey, I was right. Definitely okay. not in the same continuity as that series. No, but definitely has a unique look to it, this, this mansion. It's not a, a modern mansion, was put that way. Very castle-ish. And so he also gets to be reunited with Red Herring. Excuse me, Walter Steele. Played here by, oh, I'm sorry, not a Herring. Colin Salmon. And that's his father's friend from the company. They, yep. they really want you to think he's a villain. Yeah, they do. That turns around a little bit, not to give too much away in, as the series goes on. And Colin Salmon is a very acclaimed British actor. I know over here we're not too familiar with him in his work, but very popular British actor in a ton of movies and television shows. He was in actually all of the Pierce Brosnan, James Bond movies, except for Goldeneye, I believe. Oh, yeah, that's he. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember his character now. He played uh, MI6 agent, I believe. I think so, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Also a very good jazz trumpeter. The guy's very, very talented. Oh, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Oliver sees his sister again. This is Thea, played by Willa Holland. And she kind of has an interesting story. She was the stepdaughter of the acclaimed director Brian De Palma. And it was on Steven Spielberg's advice that she began an acting career. Hmm, okay. 
So, I don't know, Steven Spielberg saw something, although Steven Spielberg also directed AI, as we talked about last week, so who knows. Yeah, (laughs) hit or miss with him. And it's interesting, these two characters of Thea and Moira, his uh, mother, Oliver's mother, as far as I I know and I looked up, they are not in the comic books at all. They are created specifically for Arrow. Oh, really? Yeah. We next see a legal aid office where Laurel Lance, played by Katie Cassidy, who is the daughter of David Cassidy, for those of you who are familiar with the Partridge family. I don't expect you to be Lily. I have no idea what you're talking about. Very good. Oh no, that's a good thing. <laughs> David Cassidy is quite a guy. Just go on YouTube and look up I Think I Love You. Or don't. <laughs> Save yourself five minutes of your life. Hold on, I'm going to write that down. I'm interested. <laughs> Laurel here looks at a corkboard filled with articles and pictures of Sterling City businessman Adam Hunt, who swindled hundreds of people out of their homes and life savings. And she leaves her desk and she walks up to a gathering of her co-workers, who are watching the Oliver Queen news story that he was rescued, and she turns the TV off. So we see right away that there's some history there. Yeah, and she's actually a character, anybody who's familiar with the comics, she is a a superhero. I'm not going to go into it besides that. And it does come out later on Arrow. But she is a familiar name to the superhero DC community. Ah, spoil it. Okay, she's Black Canary. Now, that's <laughs> that's why I had a question. I have not watched future seasons of this. I've pretty much watched halfway through season one so far. Does she become Black Canary in this series? Uh, not really yet as far as I watched. And I haven't watched all of season three yet. I just started season three myself. I'm not going to give away who is the Black Canary. There is a Black Canary before her, Okay. put it that way, but I'm not going to give away who that is. Because she made a reference in later on in season one of wearing ugly black fishnets, so I yeah, thought that was definitely a reference. It's supposed to be a direct reference to her future role as Black Canary, and again, there is another character who plays that role before she takes up the mantle. Later, we also see Oliver Queen in his room, and we notice now that he has many scars in Chinese tattoos. So definitely, this is not something that would happen to a man that was isolated on an island for five years. Yeah, it really starts to get you wondering again, how did he get these things? There were some shenanigans going on in this <laughs> island besides what... Unless he just decided there. to uh, take up the hobby of uh, tattoo artistry. <laughs> yeah. On his shoulder, yeah, that would have been quite a, quite a feat. <laughs> We also get a quick flashback, and what we basically get out of that is that the Queen's Gambit is sailing into stormy waters, and it's a Category 2 typhoon that they're dealing with. Later, Oliver is reunited with his friend Tommy, played here by Colin Donnell, and Tommy lists off the things that he missed while he was gone, Super Bowl winners, the fact that there's a black president, and the ending of Lost, saying, they were all dead, I think. And it's like, really, don't crap on another show. You know, let's see what your show turns into, guys. Yeah, well, yeah, that's spoiler true. alert for anybody who hasn't seen a Lost either. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> and the they're sitting around at the table, and the housekeeper, Riza, she trips with, I don't know, what a bowl of pears or whatever she was trying to put on the table. And Oliver catches her and says something in Russian, astounding everybody at the table. Yeah, they have a strange relationship, those two. I, I Just from watching the pilot episode, I can't quite figure it out. <laughs> I kind of gathered that she was the nanny. Yeah, And yeah. then kind of became the housekeeper once he was, you know, old enough to take care of himself. Not really a character that appeared much after this episode, for some reason. 
Uh, maybe they were hoping to give her more of a role as a confidant or something of Oliver, but really didn't go much of anywhere. We get the nice little exchange of dialogue after this, where Walter says, I didn't realize you took Russian in college, Oliver. And he replies, I didn't realize you wanted to sleep with my mother, Walter. So just throw that right there on the table, the dinner table, yep. <laughs> so we learn that Walter and his mother are married. They're really setting up a, a parallel to Hamlet here, or at least they were trying to. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Well, they really threw you off guard again, like you said, about um, Walter's character, that he was actually some kind of, you know, scumbag, or what what his deal was. Very nefarious. Yeah, nefarious, that he's going to be a major villain, as they're trying to throw out there. Well, anybody with a soul patch is evil, you know that. That's true, well, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> so, it's a dark and stormy night. Oliver is sleeping on the floor, like the Count of Monte Cristo, that's kind of consistent. And he's dreaming about the night of the shipwreck. And we find out that he's cheating on his girlfriend with his girlfriend's sister, Sarah, played here by Jacqueline McInnes-Wood, who interestingly is the sister-in-law to the late Bob Probert, the former Detroit Red Wing and Chicago Blackhawk. Oh, okay. Yeah. What a wonderful piece of exposition for a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> now, we also get the info... I don't know if it means anything, but just kind of thrown in there that he dropped out of an Ivy League school. I thought that was kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I noticed that. Kind of thrown off his, he has the, the Silver Age uh, Oliver Queen backstory where he's just kind of a, a slacker playboy. Can drop off college and not even care about it. Yeah. Or cheat on his, his girlfriend with her sister. Which I believe is the Jack Kirby writing of the interpretation of the story. I believe, yes, you are right. J Jack Kirby. Jack the King Kirby. Mm-hmm. So, what happens next? Well, the boat flips over, and Sarah is sucked into the briny deep, as Oliver makes it to the surface where a lifeboat that contains his father and a crew member are floating. So that's all we get. Now, we see that Oliver is really tossing and turning or shouting or something during this, this dream, and his mother runs in to try to wake him up, and you don't sneak up on Green Arrow. He gives her a martial arts flip and kind of gets ready to chop right at her throat. And then yeah. Walter comes in and saves the day. Kind of stops him from doing that. This whole time, though, I was looking at the window. It's raining like crazy and the window's open. I'm like, somebody just shut the window, please. The next morning, we get this small scene where Oliver looks under his bed at a green wooden box. This is the second time we've seen it. The, the first time, he wouldn't let the chauffeur touch it. So, I think we all pretty much know what's in there at this point. Sure. Diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> Wilson the volleyball. Perhaps his copy of X-Men number one. Ooh. Perhaps they found on the island, yes. Yeah, don't let anybody touch that. <laughs> 9.8, I believe it was. Oh, good grade. Oliver's sister and her friend are getting ready to snort some pain medication. Oliver walks in and they kind of hide it. And he presents his sister with a hosen, if I'm saying that correctly. And mm -hmm. it's a stone with writing. And it's something, I guess, in the Buddhist faith that symbolizes reconnecting. Mm -hmm. Kind of an interesting thing. And we get a scene now where Tommy takes Oliver out and about in the city in his Mercedes. And Oliver has him stop in front of the abandoned Queen Steel Fabrication and Welding Factory that his father sold off. And Tommy basically saying that it's a good, good thing that he sold it off. The town city is really going to heck in a handbasket. And it's not the same Starling city that Oliver's used to. Tommy asks if he wants to see the one person that isn't happy he's alive. And Oliver already knows it's Laurel. 
So we cut back to that legal aid office, and Oliver is waiting for Laurel at her desk, and they catch up, and he apologizes for Sarah's death on the boat. She said, it should have been you. So we find out that they have this whole history, and I just thought it was funny. Arrow and Lance have a relationship? That's pretty sharp writing. Oh, oh. very good. <laughs> So Tommy and Oliver walk back to the car, and just a side note here, we get a good look at Tommy's license plate, and instead of a state name, I don't know if you guys saw this, it just says, Beautiful Evergreen State. Of course. (laughs) I didn't see that, but that's, you know, that's what Starling City is in the Evergreen State, which is obviously uh, somewhere in the United States. (laughs) (laughs) They're uh, immediately ambushed by a gang of guys wearing red skull masks, and Tommy and Oliver are tranquilized, and some random guy shot up. So, you know, like, they were definitely trying to preserve these two, and anybody else in the way was getting killed. Poor guy, too. He's just coming out of the restaurant to, you know, probably take a break or something, and, you know, stumbles upon this. Gets shot. Yeah. He reminded me of the the Sesame Street guy. Six banana cream pies! Then falls down the stairs. (laughs) Poor guy. With bullet holes in his chest, yes. Yes. That'd be traumatizing. <laughs> <laughs> so in a daze, Oliver has another flashback. They did a very good job, as Sean mentioned. They set this story up, and they were only going to reveal to us what they want us to see at any given time. And they're going to cut back to this for quite a while. And we see that he's on the lifeboat, and his father gives him the last of the drinking water, and saying that to the other guy on the boat, that if any of them is going to make it out of there alive, it's going to be Oliver. Oliver's father also tells him, I'm not the man you think I am. I didn't build our city. I failed it, but I wasn't the only one. Yeah. That's all we get. So Oliver wakes up and he's now tied to a chair and this gang is tasing him and they're questioning about what his father told him. And he says, uh, he told me I'm going to kill you, which I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah, I, after we discuss the show, I'll talk about my feelings about it. (laughs) Making sure the entire time that Tommy is unconscious still at this point. Very, I noticed that. Yes, very important to him. And he shows them that he's no longer zip-cuffed to his chair, and a whole fight ensues, and he parkours around machine gun fire quite well, and he catches up to the last guy and gets him in some sort of backwards chokehold, which he'll do many times, I've noticed, in, at least in season one, and he snaps the guy's neck, telling him that no one can know his secret. Very so, you know, dark for... Yeah. You know, very This is one problem I have with Arrow is the fact that it's not true to the comics where the Green Arrow from the comic books does not want to kill people at all. He he prefers just to wound. And honestly, that's something, as a spoiler to anybody who's watching Arrow, he does change quite a bit in season two. And season one has his whole theme of his his father and the story of his, his father, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, I'm sure and redemption but season two goes more into him being the comic book green arrow where he's not a killer anymore well that's good at least (laughs) yes because man i'm going is this how the show's gonna be yeah this he said you can't risk him this this various uh henchman ran this random henchman knowing who he is and what he can do very much setting him up as the anti-hero it reminds me of, you know, Punisher and, and certain incarnations of Batman and even Deathstroke the Terminator, who we had the brief cameo of. All guys that will kill if necessary. Mm-hmm. 
So at this point in the show, we get a commercial break, so why don't we take the opportunity to take a commercial break of our own? We'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. There is a superfood that you've been ignoring. Crab apples. Did you know that one crab apple has more antioxidants than ten medicines? Probably. Crab apples. Add a tart flavor to a quesadilla. Crab apples. Throw one at a door for a long-distance knock. Crab apples. Your old Sega Genesis cartridges won't play? Rub some crab apples on them. Juice them for a homemade throw-up potion. Crab apples. Feed one to a spouse to betray their trust. Crab apples. Mail one to a random acquaintance to teach them that, hey, sometimes anything is possible. Crab apples. Kick one to test your sandals. Crab apples. The only fruit that you can cut... Crab apples. A little too early. Sorry. Sorry about that. The only fruit that you can cut with a DVD. Crab apples. Hold one in your hand and say, Papa, I'm a giant. Crab apples. Combine hundreds of them with toothpicks and make Crab Apple Man. He understands you. Crab apples. It's the best food that you probably just throw at hubcaps. Crab, Crab apples. apples. And we're back. Now, at this point of the show, there is a detective, played here by Paul Blackthorne, and he's speaking with Oliver and Tommy back at the mansion, and they tell him that a man in a green hood saved them and took out three armed kidnappers. Now, I just have him in my notes as a detective. In fact, I refer to him, I think, in my notes as Detective Jerk because there's really no name at this point. And I'm going, <laughs> man, this guy is a real jerk, you know? He doesn't know what's happening, and he's being very insensitive with a, a very delicate situation. Of course, we'll find out later why, but at this point, he's just a detective. Detective jerk. Yes. Detective jerk. And Oliver does some research on Adam Hunt. He's played here by Brian Markinson, and he finds his name in an old journal. Oliver is told by his mother and Walter that he will now be accompanied after, you know, after this happened to him, he will now be accompanied by John Diggle, played by David Ramsey, who has a black belt in real life, by the way. Oh, I did not know oh, that. Oh, really? John Diggle is an Air Force veteran, and he's hired to keep Oliver safe. And this is a guy that was created just for the show, but since the relaunch, the, the New 52, John Diggle is now a part of the Green Arrow comic book series. Yes, he is. Now, during their Bentley ride, Diggle kind of lays down the new ground rules for Oliver, tells it how it's going to be, and as he does, Oliver, of course, jumps out of the back seat and disappears. And we get a scene where he jumps the fence at the Batcave, I mean, sorry, Bandon Factory, and immediately begins renovation. I mean, the guy gets right to work, setting up a, a crime in a weapons lab slash gymnasium. It's the montage of him setting up. Yeah, take note, ladies. This is the montage of him using computers, crafting arrows, and uh, more of that shirtless workout time Sean yes. was talking about. <laughs> now, this is kind of unbelievable to me because he's you know, like, he brought in two bags. Okay, that's reasonable when he first went in. Yeah. Next scene, you see him with a, with a pickaxe, picking through the walls <laughs> and through the floor. Yeah, and, and then he's got a whole setup with tables and computers. And he's, he has huge equipment. You see that he has like a pulley system and dropping equipment into the basement of this place. And 
It's like, okay, so he, what, do you do this all in one day? I mean, is he getting stuff FedEx there or what? I mean, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I do like his, the two things I liked about this scene was, which is a reoccurring thing, and I wish I could do this because it would be fantastic. The best way I could describe it is pull, step up, jumping thing. Where it's the two bars with different notches oh, in it. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he, you know, he's able to, like, jump his whole body up and it, the pole goes to the next notch and he keeps on climbing the notches with the pole. That's fantastic. Yeah, but then how do you get down? You you fall. <laughs> <laughs> you do it reverse. And also we see his archery expertise in this scene. Yes, finally. Yes. Um, with the bouncing tennis balls that he's able to rapid fire, throw them against the wall and let them bounce around and fire a number of arrows and pin them all against the wall. Yeah, six of he them. He is... Uh... He's quoted the Green Arrow, at least in the comic book series, saying that he can shoot 29 arrows per minute. That's awesome. So that's that's almost, or is, one every two seconds. Yeah. I, I can only shoot 23 a minute, so that's pretty good. <laughs> 21 once for me, but that's about it. Yeah, well. But I, I just love the six tennis balls, and I was just thinking at this point, how great would it be if Roger Federer played the, the villain of this series? <laughs> maybe he will foreshadowing idea. foreshadowing, foreshadowing. <laughs> hitting hands balls at him <laughs> so Adam Hunt now walks with his entourage to his limousine and he tells him to fix the Laurel Land situation so we, we understand that this is a guy with some underworld connections a lot of clout a lot of money and definitely a guy that I thought okay this is going to be the villain of the series we'll find out later if he is or not so, well, I mean, he's bald like uh, Lex Luthor, so... Yeah, of course. Another <laughs> another hallmark of being evil. And we should say, too, in, <laughs> in the previous scene when he's on the computer researching Adam Hunt, there is a mysterious little notebook that Oliver has that looks pretty beaten up, that has names written in it, and Adam Hunt is one of the names. What will it be? What is this notebook? Where did it come from? We shall see. So Adam Hunt's walking with his men, and all of a sudden an arrow bursts a light fixture behind them. And Oliver, I guess we can call him Arrow at this point, he takes out both of Hunt's bodyguards. Green Arrow. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. So, uh, GA tells Hunt to deposit $40 million by 10 p.m. the following night. In a, a Starling Bank account, Citibank, I think it was account number 1141 or something like that. Correct. Which is pretty low number. Account, really, if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, it's an early one. No routing number or anything, no checking account number. <laughs> and so at this point, we get a commercial break. Now, when we come back, we see that Hunt is explaining to the police that he was confronted by this man with the green hood, which they're now familiar with, who has a bow and arrow. And Detective Jerk tells him that they will put out an APB for Robin Hood. Now, this is funny, because we all know that Green Arrow is definitely a Robin Hood ripoff. Now, oh, when, yeah, I, for sure. when I watched season one, or at least halfway through season one, it seemed as though every episode name-checked Robin Hood. What is this, some sort of Robin Hood? Oh, this guy's Robin Hood. They mention Robin Hood. Okay, we get it. You're totally copping to the fact that the creators cannot deny the similarities. I yes. just thought that was funny. <laughs> it's Robin Hood. Yes. So Adam Hunt tells the cops to be ready at 10 p.m., because that's when Arrow will come back, and he tells them to coordinate with his new head of security, Mr. Dracon, played here by Darren Shalavi, 
who was a stuntman and martial artist and who actually died at the age of 42 this past January, January 14th, 2015. Oh, yikes. Rest in peace. Just about two months before we were recording this episode. That that caught me by surprise because I don't remember hearing about this story. Hmm. So Oliver leaves the mansion for his welcome back for the dead party, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) which is being held right across the street from Adam Hunt's building, interestingly enough. And he steps into the back seat where Diggle is waiting for him, telling him, put on your seatbelt. And we know that now it's 9.07, so only 53 minutes left to this deadline. Then they play at the party for Oliver. They play We Are the Champions. I thought that was kind of a weird song choice. Lame what about a little bit. what about the theme from Welcome Back, Carter? Welcome back. Wouldn't that be perfect? Of course it would. They should have the sweat hogs there too. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Oliver's cell phone. I don't know where. It, wait, I think it's an Android phone. I don't know, but it's pretty cool how it has the clock on it, and it's nine fifteen or so at this point, I believe. It's I the, it. the jitterbug smartphone he's using there. <laughs> yes, we understand. He's looking at the time. Just in case you couldn't figure it out. <laughs> So, Hunt and his men, they get ready for a showdown at the building. And at the party, Oliver spots his sister buying drugs. And I guess this is going to be a small storyline. And she gives a whole monologue to him. And after, it's revealed that he stole the drugs from her out of her bag while she was talking to him. And he throws them away. So It's interesting to note, too, that Thea's character, her nickname in the show, is actually Speedy. Yes. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed, picked up on that. Yeah, that's her name as a little kid because they had to chase her around as a little kid. So she's actually speedy in the show. And she takes speed, evidently. Yeah, she's she's definitely speedy. I was like, how can you just let her walk away? How could you just... I don't know. But then I saw he took the drugs and felt a little bit better about him just letting her walk away, knowing that she wouldn't go do nefarious acts. But She definitely has some issues to uh, basically act in the same way Oliver did, and she... Cops to the fact that she was just like him when he was her age. Yeah. The partier, the, the rebel. Say no to drugs, kids. <laughs> That's right. Say no to drugs. I concur. Yes. So Oliver meets Laurel at the party, and she apologizes to him for being harsh earlier, and she asks if her sister suffered when she died, and we get a flashback of her being essentially flushed down a toilet, and then he (laughs) says, no, no, no. She says that she's there for him if he needs to talk. And I'm like, really? You know, I don't don't like anybody in this show at this point. She was like the last person that I was like, okay, I could understand her as a... Her and Diggle, I should say, I like the John Diggle character. But, man, there's very few that I like in this show at this point. I I definitely agree with you. This was a lame choice of of dialogue for me, this scene. They should have cut this. She'd been on the floor somewhere. Because... She would not, in my opinion, change her her opinion of Oliver so quickly. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I know you cheated on me with my sister, but hey, we're still pals. And she's dead because of you, basically. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's it's okay. I'm sorry I was harsh. I mean, what what is that? Yeah, I'm sorry I told you I thought you should die. (laughs) Yeah, but it really shows how Oliver, just kind of like Bruce Wayne is trying to establish himself again as a bad boy. Even at his party, he puts on this persona as, you know, oh, I'm still the party guy I was. I'm the same person. I'm not any different than I was five years ago. Yeah. As kind of a cover for his his activities. Oliver's phone now goes off because it is now 10 o'clock, and he explained that he asked somebody to do something for him, and they didn't do it. So he tells her to stay away 
Otherwise, he'll hurt her again. And that he had five years of debauchery to catch up on. Again, putting up that false front, pushing her away, trying to keep her safe in his own way. And uh, it reminded me of the end of the movie Harry and the Hendersons, where John Lithgow tried to spare the feelings of the Sasquatch by punching him and <laughs> angrily telling him to go back into the woods. Do you remember that, Sean? That is quite a reference, and I don't remember that. <laughs> I think on purpose I don't remember that. <laughs> My brain kind of erased it. <laughs> wow. Another another movie you'll have to look up, Lily, and those or who've any, never seen it. Or any... You'll, you'll uh, definitely uh, draw some parallels. Of the 10,000 movies or TV shows where the same thing happens, the main character loves the pet or the animal and, and tells it to go away because it doesn't want to hurt it. <laughs> Most recently, I saw this in the movie Air Bud with my children, <laughs> where he tries to get Air Bud to go away by telling him he, you know, oh, he no. doesn't want him anymore. So, oh, my God. <laughs> quite horrible. <laughs> so now Diggle is trailing Oliver as he tries to leave the party, and Oliver grabs him and puts him into a hold. And, yeah, and we smash. I don't know how he doesn't think this won't have any repercussions. Yeah, right? I don't understand that either. Really, I don't think they really the pilot. You know, like I said before, they did think out the storyline. Some of these aspects of the pilot, I I think, and we'll go into it more in a few minutes. They really didn't think out before ahead of time. Is kind of wrote it as a single episode, in my opinion. Like maybe they didn't think that Diggle was going to be a major character, even though he is. But you know, interesting. Yeah, they, well, they definitely do these type of things in pilots. We'll we'll get characters that we don't see later on, or we'll get aspects of the story that are kind of that kind of fall by the wayside. So that's you know to be expected at some point. So we smash cut to Dracon, and he's readying Hunt's men, and Hunt waits by the window, and and we see what could best be described as a grappling arrow that lodges itself nearby. The police try to secure the area as well. And at 10.11 p.m., the power goes out in Hunt's building. And somehow the elevator doors open and we hear a ding. Now, I guess maybe emergency power, so I can't criticize it too much. But an arrow flies out and takes out one of the armed bodyguards. And then Arrow comes out using his bow and martial arts and he takes out all of the men. Now Hunt is waiting with his bodyguards in his office and there's a commotion and now it's suddenly silenced. And one of Hunt's men is thrown through the frosted glass doors into Hunt's office, where he's shot up by the other men. Then Arrow enters, once again using a combination of arrows and bow slaps to neutralize the threat. Bow slaps. <laughs> and he draws his bow on Adam Hunt, and Hunt says to him, You missed. And yep. really, that must be the worst thing that somebody could say to the Green Arrow. I mean, that's... You missed. That's got to be like calling the Flash slow or making fun of Batman's parents. You know, that's got to be, <laughs> that's got to be the lowest of the low. And he oh, sa he says so something cool. like, "Did I?" Or I forget exact term he yeah. said. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, did I?" Oh, did I? What? And I was like, "Oh, what do you mean?" You know. <laughs> so anyway, Dracon comes in from the side and grabs his bow, and then they engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat as Hunt alerts the police. So the police converge on the building as Arrow flies an arrow into Dracon's chest as. He fires a gun, and then the two fall to the floor, and of course we get a commercial break. And when we come back, we see that Arrow wakes up, and the police are surrounding Hunt's office. Arrow manages to dodge the gunfire, and he jumps out through the window. And as the police run up to get a closer look, we see that he is ziplining down to the parking lot. That's what that grappling arrow was at the beginning of this scene. Down to the other bit. I think he actually goes to the other building, doesn't he? 
Yeah. The other building where the party's happening. Yeah, it's like, just follow yes. the zip line. Yeah, they, they see it go down. <laughs> yep. There is literally a connecting thread, officers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh. So back at the party, the police end the festivities to find Oliver. And Oliver pretends, of course, not to have any knowledge. And the police basically know that the same green-hooded vigilante that attacked Adam Hunt also saved Oliver Queen, so they're very suspicious of this sudden connection. So, to try to dispel this, Oliver announces to his guests that he'll give $2 million to anybody that can find the nut bar in the green hood. Yes. Nut bar is such an odd term. Nut bar. Yeah, green nut yeah, bar. Never, that seems like a, that. a standards and practices note to me that they had something else and they're like, can you just call him a nut bar? I guess so. <laughs> Interesting, Oliver, if you noticed, his, uh, the arrow, the green arrow, his mask was actually painted on. Yeah. In these early episodes, he uh, had this green stripe across his face. And you kind of have to wonder how he got that off pretty quick to get back to the party without any trace yeah. of it on That's his true. face at all. <laughs> I was thinking the same exact thing. When I played softball a few years ago, I would have black stripes under my eyes for the sun. It took forever to try and, like, scrape it off. I don't know how he did it in, like, 30 seconds. And his eyes and every, and his, his eyelids, it's very interesting. Yeah, it would have back been, to the party. It would have been funny if his eyes were all red and everything from him rubbing them, and he had, like, green <laughs> eye shadow left, that was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Detective Jerk, now holding back his anger or trying to hold back his anger, says, Did you even try to save my daughter? So, this is the moment where you go, Oh, okay, this is Laurel and Sarah's father. Really, a conflict yes. of interest. He really should have recused himself from this case entirely. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Has the first name of Quentin Lance. Quentin Lance, yes. Quentin Lance, yep. Another very old character, or at least Detective Lance, not Quentin Lance, because this was a name given for the show, but a very, very old character, Detective Lance. Yes. Again, connected to the Black Canary character. Correct. So Tommy starts to question the connection too, and he finds it strange that Oliver set up this party right across the street from where Hunt got ambushed the same night by that green-hooded man. And he just tells Tommy to be happy that he's alive. Yeah, kind of play it off like, aha, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of hinted when, earlier in the episode, when Green Arrow was fighting off the red-masked henchman when Tommy was unconscious, that he had kind of snuck a peek at what was going on in his, you know, unconscious haze. Yeah. But, so, I don't know, for me, he definitely knows that uh, Oliver is the Green Arrow is at this point. Is it foreshadowing? Who can say? Ah, oh, you can spoil it. It is foreshadowing. <laughs> I say. So we cut back the next day at Hunt's office, and he finds out that $40 million has vanished from his account without a trace. And Hunt asks, how did he do it? Totally oblivious to the blinking green Wi-Fi, I don't know, electronic banking arrow that's still stuck in the wall behind him. And you could see another scene where Oliver is watching the money transfer from the little infograph there of one account to the other progress bar draining away and i have a real problem with this i don't know if lily is something you're going to mention he's been home for two days now or so and he's able to acquire this you know pretty intense hardware you're not not even going back to the whole thing about him building the arrow yeah, that's cave true he gets this very been gone for five years but able to figure out how to create this you know i'm in it and i couldn't figure out how to do this in two days 
Well, I, able- you got to imagine it's been more, a lot more than two days. We have the montage of him training and renovating, okay. so we got to imagine that a couple of days have passed. It's not too long because he's still having that welcome back party. So let's say a week. Even give him a week. Okay. Still, I mean, that's that's a very short period of time to figure out the technology. I, I don't buy it. And it kind of goes into, later on, we introduce other characters that help Oliver. Felicity is one of them in later episodes, who's a computer expert. Another IT old expert. comic character. Yeah. She even mentions later in the episodes that he's basically an idiot when it comes to computers, or not as... Up to her standards, at least, so... And you gotta imagine, he's been on this island for five years. How many operating systems have come into being in this amount of time? Yeah, so definitely. ITT Tech must have been on the island, that's all I can guess. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe season four or season five, we'll find out. Yes, he goes some training, you know, from a, a IT professional on the island. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, as Sean mentioned, all the money is going now back electronically to all the defrauded victims. Exactly what they lost, they're getting back. And he then crosses out Adam Hunt's name from this mysterious journal. And so, of course, now we understand, oh, this is going to be a a villain of the week type of thing. At least somewhat. Yes. And he looks at a picture of his father, and we get another flashback to the lifeboat. We see here that the three men are near death. And the one crew member, he's holding a knife to the box of supplies to protect it. And Oliver's father tells him to survive so that he can make things better and right his wrongs. He then takes out a gun and shoots the other man in the boat. And he tells Oliver to survive, then he shoots himself. Yes, in the head. Yeah, pretty crazy. (laughs) And so now back in current time, we're back at the law office, and Laurel tells one of the people who just received their money not to ever speak of it again. And we see that other people are calling this law office to say that they got their money returned as well. Tommy now takes a walk with Laurel and they talk about all of their past and all of their, shall we say, encounters. And, I don't know, I guess it wouldn't be a CW show without some sort of steamy love triangle. Yes. (laughs) And she walks away as Arrow looks down from a fire escape. So he's a creepy stalker as well. Of course. (laughs) So we get a final flashback scene of Oliver on the lifeboat approaching the island. In a voiceover, he explains that there are many more names on this list of those who rule his city with intimidation and fear, and that every last one will wish he had died on that island. Again, foreshadowing what this season will be about. My name is Earl. cryptic. My name is Earl. (laughs) My name is Oliver. (laughs) So, at night... A man says that the police will never find out who tried to abduct Oliver and asks if another abduction should be arranged. And it's Oliver's mother that replies, mm. no, there are other ways of finding out what my son knows. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> so there was more involved in this. Yes, that, and that goes into the drama, which is Arrow in season one and two. So I have to ask now at this point, and Sean, I, I, we know that you have the most experience, but what did what did everybody think of this episode? All right. Well, I'll go. F- I'll go first sure. because I'm the one who suggested it because I wanted to watch the show. I was very interested in watching a show specifically about Green Arrow because it was one of the DC superheroes that I did not know as much about as the other ones. And like Sean, I I prefer DC to Marvel. So for me. I think this show turned out to be a little too melodramatic and cheesy for me. I mean, 
<laughs> he told me I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> like <laughs> terrible dialogue. I mean, terrible. That one was really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like, I I want to make you proud. I want to grow up into the person that you wanted me to be. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if it's a show I should stick with if it gets better, but I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if the show was really for me. Yeah, and it's not even true to the persona of the Green Arrow in the comic book. So I'd I'd much rather just read a comic book than watch the show, I think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That sounds kind of harsh, but... I have a very similar opinion to Lily in this case. This, it was very melodramatic, and I expected that going into this drama, you know, being a CW show. And it was very dark, very humorless... I'm not the one that came up with this notion, but I certainly agree to it. I've heard people say that lately a lot of superhero adaptations have tried to copy what Christopher Nolan did for Batman. They they think the, the best way to handle these characters is to go darker, more gritty, humorless, and really that only worked with the character of Batman. This was a tortured soul, this was a, a silent loner, and it really worked well for his character. But when you have a, a character like Superman, and you try to make him gritty, you get Man of Steel. You know, when you when you tried to... They're going to do this with the Fantastic Four pretty soon, and I don't know how that's going to turn out. It just... It didn't work for me too much to see this character, which, you know, if you see him in the comics, he's got a big smile on his face usually, and like Sean, or I can't remember, one of you was saying he's, you know, a happy character, kind of a, a smart aleck. I would have liked to see more of that, you know how Spider-Man also liked to joke around? It would have been nice to have a little bit of levity. As far as the show goes, I did not like any of these characters except for, for John Diggle. And I, I've heard people mention that Walter Steele is kind of a, an upstanding guy in this show, so he's probably a character I would like. But everyone seems pretty trashy, you know? Everyone's hurt each other and done horrible <laughs> things to each other and still continues to. And Green Arrow himself doesn't really have a personality for me. Yeah. He's like just this superhero who has these witty one-liners and that's about it. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree with that, yeah. So I mean, I I'll I gave the story a chance. I am not the type to watch one episode and completely dismiss it cuz I don't think that's fair to do to any show. And I pretty much watched uh halfway through season 1. I really wanted to see Deathstroke the Terminator. And I finally did get to see him a few episodes in. And I'll probably finish out the first season and see where it goes. Especially now that I know that The Flash will show up later. Uh, Ray Palmer, The Atom will show up later. And so I like when they include other characters from a shared universe. And I'll continue to watch it from time to time. Maybe if maybe if I catch a cold, it'll be something I finish on Netflix. But yeah, that's it's a very lukewarm show. Not a terrible show. I did enjoy it very much in parts, but uh, not something I'll be clamoring for every every season. Well, I-, I can tell you guys, I felt the exact same way as you do when I first saw this. And I actually watched the first couple episodes of Arrow when it first came out in 2012. Mm-hmm. And I was... I did like it quite, you know, a little bit, and but I did was very turned off by the whole CW syndrome, I guess you can say. <laughs> These perfect, pretty, perfect, pretty characters who are very—that's my other rant, I guess. You know, no imperfections really. It seems like physically, Dawson's Creekish. You know, I, I had a real hard time with that, with this, and again, the fact that they didn't call it Green Arrow. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> it's the kind of show after rewatching it, and you know, I was very turned off the first couple episodes about the whole island thing. Where do you get these skills from if you're stuck on an island for five years? Only thing I could say is once I started rewatching it a few months ago on Netflix, it's gotten a lot better. And you really have to get through the first part of season one to really start seeing an improvement in the story and the characters. Mm-hmm. Maybe the characters will not ever get better in your minds, but they do improve and the personalities do come out quite a bit. They throw in a few more characters. They thankfully get rid of some characters by the end of season one. I'm not going to be a spoiler. Tommy Merlin, I hate him as a character in this show. <laughs> um, yeah, he's a dirtbag. Yeah, really. Dirt I don't like him, but it gets better. That's the only thing I can say. And I gotta say, so I do enjoy watching. I think it's enjoyable, especially when you get into season two and three. The well, stories do increase. and It was a very popular show. I mean, it, for right from the off the bat, it was very popular. I do really like the fact that they brought the uh, the Flash into it, yeah. And kind of they spun off the Flash from the Green Arrow. There's actually a couple episode arc with the Flash in it, where how he gets his powers and that sort of thing. And as a little plug for the Flash, which is started this season, fantastic show. Also on the CW, great great show. It's a lot lighter than. Arrow is in, you know, with character wise, the characters are definitely more likable <laughs> and not as dark as Arrow is. So Good. I recommend The Flash, and I think we should do another episode on that down the road, but very, very good. I do like the fact that, like you said, Scott, they bring in the other, uh, the Adam is going to be in the show. Yeah. One thing that really bothers me about all these shows, and I don't think it's even a copyright thing like the x-men issue and and marvel batman bruce wayne is never in these shows he wasn't not in smallville which is very odd to me um you think they would have dumped him in smallville yeah a batman bruce wayne character and it's it's an obvious place for him to be with another billionaire in arrow but it's he's not there he just and they say he's not gonna make an appearance in the future so well that'll pretty much do it for this episode of hitting play Previous to this episode, Sean and I went in on a gift for Lily, and we bought her a little something for her graduation, and uh, let's... Pending, uh, pending graduation. We don't know if it's actually going to happen yet. That's true, it may not happen. I'll, uh, I'll give you a little spoiler here, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to Pending at graduation. <laughs> Until I see it with the cap and gown, I, nothing is, is sure. We did, we did record her opening her present, so let's take a listen to that now. So, because uh, Lily here is going to be graduating soon, Sean Hopefully. and I, well, we'll see, yeah. It's a, not quite sure yet. <laughs> still a little early, but uh, we're hedging our bets. Uh, Sean and I went halvesies on a small gift for Lillian here. So, and even though it's only March, she forced us to give it to her now. So I'll start okay. with this card that's on the top of yes, it. Yes, please read the card first. Now, it's which, only rude. if I could just... Describe to you the image of this card. It is a thumbs up, giving a thumbs up. So, therefore, being some sort of, you know, thumbs up squared conundrum. Mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. True. <laughs> it says, you did it. Which, again, is a little premature. We'll see. We'll see. Well, but we're <laughs> hoping. I open the card, and in here there appears to be a quote. I will read the quote. The whole world is a circus if you look at it the right way. 
Every time you pick up a handful of dust, you see not the dust, but a mystery, a marvel, there in your hand. Every time you stop and think, I'm alive, and being alive is fantastic. Every time such a thing happens, you are part of the circus of Dr. Lau. Remember that. That's, that's good advice. Happy graduation, your friends, Scott and Sean. Okay, well, you can lovely. get you can get to it now. You've been waiting many many days for this. So I don't know how I'm gonna get through all the packaging tape on uh, this package. Now describe the box as you're opening it. How, what is this box? How big is it? Um, this box is probably two times or three times the size of my head. It's kind of heavy. Um, mm. It is a cardboard box, completely surrounded in packaging tape. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Because Scott didn't see me wrap this. I did all the wrapping myself. I so. did see pictures, though, of it yes. completed. Yes. Right. I didn't see the insides. So I'm trying here to uh, <clears throat> get the packaging tape cut open without damaging the contents. All right, well, I still haven't gotten through the packaging tape, so... <laughs> all right. Okay. We finally got the top of the box open here. Okay. And there is another box. With more packaging tape and something. <laughs> What's in the box that? In the bottom of this box, at first, first of all, I took out another box, but below that other box is some bags of rice. <laughs> oh, that's why it was so heavy. Yep, yeah, that was yep. that was the weight yep. factor, and also two packages of <laughs> whole wheat spaghetti. Oh, yep. great. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Okay. Well, you know, we figured that college is expensive and you need some food, so... Too bad I can't, I can't eat it. <laughs> oh, of course you can. Come on. Um, you can sell it to your dorm mates for, yeah, I don't know, I'll just, whatever you know, kids yeah. nowadays. No, but th thank you. Very thoughtful. Very thoughtful. Yep. For art class uh, in it. college. Okay, so great gift. <laughs> um, all right, so now we're going to go to this... Um, how heavy is this box? Not heavy whatsoever. Oh. Okay. It would be funny if there was nothing in that second box. Yeah, it would. <laughs> <laughs> if something, like, jumps out at me, I'm going to wig out. Oh, that would have been a good idea, Sean. I forgot to put food in there. Oh, my so, God. So what size would, is this box, this second box? I would say it's it fit inside the other box, so it's probably about, you know, one and a half lily heads. If we were going to use that as a unit of measurement. <laughs> Sean, how did you get all this packaging tape on one box? I don't know. How much did you use an entire roll? Okay. There Pretty we much. go. Here we go. Oh my god. Okay. Now it's finally open. You you wrote a fake price on this. <laughs> what? <laughs> what <is> <laughs> whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, sorry. Okay. So what is what is in the box? It is a comic book. <laughs> what oh, comic book is it? Oh, that's a good one. What comic book? Yeah, there you go. It Happy appears to be uh, Lois Lane, so Superman's girlfriend, number 94. Oh, wow. That's a key issue, right? Is it in yep. good shape? It is. You know, it, it it's it's awesome. Um, that, we put the price I, on it. Can you tell us what the price is that we... <laughs> Yeah, the price you guys wrote on it is three thousand dollars, but it looks like the I actual did. price is one seventy five. 
Okay. Okay. There you go, Lily. Happy wow. graduation. Thank you, guys. That that's really awesome. Oh, hey, there's more. There's more in here. There is more. At what? the bottom of the box, we have the first issue of the new Teen Titans. Oh. oh okay. Which appears to be in extraordinarily awesome condition. Oh. Oh, it's almost as if that was the real gift. That was me. Oh. And you didn't that... have to lie and say that trashed copy of Lois Lane that's worth a dollar was an awesome gift. Oh, it could be worth more. You never know. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> that was really clever. <laughs> no, thank you guys. This is really awesome. Really, really awesome. All right, so, you... so in... in uh, just to as to summarize this here, I I got two packages of long grain rice and two packages of whole wheat pasta, <laughs> a battered <laughs> Lois Lane edition number ninety four, and yep. uh, the first issue of the new Teen Titans. Let me see it. I can't see it. Uh, is that Doesn't the right it... one, Scott? We oh, that's that. mine. <laughs> oh oh, oh yeah. man. Uh... Okay. She's supposed to get wow. the one with the coffee ring on it. Teen Titan number one. Numero uno. Noon Teen Titans number one. That's awesome. Yep. Thank okay. you, guys. That's You're awesome. welcome. You're very welcome. Okay, now, Lily, I have to ask, are you still keeping that comic book in good shape? Yeah, it's in the hard plastic sleeve that I believe you slipped the uh, Lois Lane issue in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a backboard and my nice cardboard box over there. Very nice. Yes. And uh, I did look up the value of that Lois Lane comic, and it is worth 40 whole cents. American. <laughs> Keep your eyes on that one. Yeah, that's, that's maybe just I can go trade up. it for a pack of gum someday. Perhaps. And very quickly, just some show notes. I wanted to thank all of those who gave us positive feedback after hearing about us from the best show. Uh, my quote-unquote smooth call to Tom. <laughs> Uh, a bunch of people have since apologized for missing our, our call-in deadline for last week's episode, but I just want to say thank you for at least expressing some interest, and don't worry, if we do something like that again, there will definitely be another opportunity. I'm really hoping in the future we can uh, devote an episode to the Newbridge Tourism Board Presents Newbridge, We're Coming to Get Ya. That was Tom Sharpling and John Worcester's fake infomercial for the fictional town of Newbridge. Fantastic. And Takeshi's Castle, that's another one we have to do. Yes, definitely. We got we got a lot on the horizon. As always, I just wanted to mention, too, that you can email us with your comments, suggestions, a, a show that we should review, as long as it's not a steamy CW drama. Whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you could always talk to us at hittingplay. Now, do you guys have any plugs? Yeah, sure. I'm going to go ahead and plug my YouTube channel that's centered around gaming. That would be LilyPution22. Scott and Sean are both on it quite often. Uh, we have our own shenanigans on there. But anyways, if that's something you're interested in, definitely do that. And my Twitter is at LilyPution22, the same handle. Yep, and I have some plugs too. First, I'd like to give a shout out to Wally Wackerman, uh, who had some nice comments for me on our Twitter after his appearance on our show last week. Haven't got a chance to watch Labyrinth yet, Wally. I'm sorry, but I'll try to get to that as soon as possible. Also, if anyone has a copy of Justice League of America number 75 from November 1969, please send us an email. I'd be uh, interested in buying that from you. Which is, I forgot to mention it during this show, it's the episode where Oliver Queen loses his fortune 
and becomes an advocate for the underprivileged in the political left wing. So I'd like to get my hands on that. I haven't seen it yet. Again, Justice League of America, number 75. And my last shout out is to my mom, who is now a listener of Hitting Play. Uh-oh. <laughs> and a subscriber. Oh, really? As of last week's episode, she wrote me. I had her listen to it. Rock, Rotten, Rule episode. She, her quote was, she did not know what we were talking about, but she loved the show. <laughs> so I love you, Mom, and thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, thank you. I am on Twitter. I am at MC and Friends. I am also on Vine. My name is MC and Friends there. There I do flip page animation. Uh, you can check me out there. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, we will give you a shout-out on the show. Maybe as a character. I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll do anything at this point, honestly. <laughs> I have, give it a five-star review. I have been told that someone did leave us a five-star review, and it just hasn't shown up yet. So whatever iTunes has to do to filter out all the swear words he called us, maybe. I don't know. So maybe that <laughs> there will be some reviews coming. But, you know, please, if you like the show, uh, you know, give us a five-star review. If you hate it, give us a five-star review, ironically. <laughs> yeah, this show was so good. <laughs> In quotes, yes. All you need is a little bold italic. Well, we have been Lily, Sean, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Good night.